Hello and welcome to the Active Growth Podcast, episode 19. Now, this episode is a special episode and it was a real treat for me to do this. We got the whole marketing team together, that is basically the Thrive Themes marketing team and the Active Growth team together in one place in Thailand. And we managed to all sit around a table and do a group podcast. The topic for this podcast was simply this. I asked the question to everyone in the group, what did you do? What helped you do better in this past year? So what resources or tools or strategies did you use that helped you be a better marketer, learn more, learn faster, make progress, or just be more effective? I asked everyone to go through their notes and basically take some time to review the past year and ask themselves, you know, what made the biggest difference? So this is from a whole group of people. These are the hot tips. These are the things that have moved the needle that have made a difference for this group of marketers. One of the reasons it's really interesting to hear from this group of people is that they all work remotely and remote work is work in hard mode. Every entrepreneur and digital nomad has experienced this, right? You have no fixed working times, no boss breathing down your neck, no clear structure. It's like this this freedom can basically be terrifying and it makes it super difficult to be productive, right? Remote working is the heavyweight class of productivity and creative work. And so what these people that you're about to meet have to say about this topic this is tested in the most difficult circumstances. What works for them will definitely work for you. Here are some of the things we'll be covering and that you'll discover as you listen to this episode. You'll hear about our strategy for creating useful and easy to understand content, even when the content is about highly complex topics and how we can write about highly complex topics and explain highly complex topics without getting overwhelmed or spending too much time on it. You'll also learn how you can use this same strategy to learn things faster for yourself and to be a better teacher, which is really important if, for example, you do online courses. We'll also get into how sleep has a super profound effect on productivity and on your ability to do creative work and the different strategies that everyone in the group has developed to get enough rest and basically maximize this sleep effect. You'll hear about how to create systems that remove friction from your workflow and how it can make a surprisingly big difference to, your, to how much time you spend and your ability to focus and work effectively, even though these changes can be really, really tiny. And talking about tiny changes, one of the things that comes up several times is basically small nudges you can give yourself to keep yourself on track or also keep your team on track if you work with a team to keep everyone accountable and keep things moving smoothly. It's often small changes, small nudges that have a large effect. And also a funny part in the podcast is how to use good old Pavlovian conditioning on yourself to make yourself more productive and to take your work environment with you. All that and much more coming up right now. You can get the show notes for this episode with all of the notes, a quick summary and resources, links and so on at activegrowth.com forward slash 19. Activegrowth.com forward slash 19. You can also go there to leave a comment. We reply to all of the comments. 
And you can also leave us a voice message there that may get featured on a future episode. So with that said, let's get into the episode. My name is Shane Malach. Matt Totten. Mikael Malet. Dave Danzeiser. Stephanie Kelly. Alexandra Kosma. So big team here. Let's get started right away with Matt. First, we'll hear from Matt. Matt has been doing a lot of writing on the Active Growth blog, and he's basically been doing the heavy lifting of finding marketing tools and comparing them and testing them, doing this in-depth testing that I used to do, but no longer have time for. And of course, he also does some work for Thrive Themes. This is just my marketing team, basically. So everyone here works for Thrive Themes, and some of them also work for Active Growth to some extent. All right, let's hear from Matt. The thing that has helped me ship more and ship faster is I tend to be an extreme perfectionist and I tend to blow the scope of my projects way out of proportion. I'm always collecting details and going down several rabbit holes. And so whatever project I do just sort of snowballs into something that's not super useful at the end. So one of the things that the team has really helped me focus on is really keeping the scope of my projects super small and focused and with a specific use case in mind. And so this keeps me on track as I work through something to not get off the path too far before I come back and then actually finish the project and get it in front of the group again, get other eyes on it as fast as possible. Can you give an example of, of uh, what a, like how you would use a use case like this? Okay, so the review we just did on payment gateways, there's a lot you can write about in terms of payment gateways, and there's several of them out there. So one thing we decided to do was we're just going to talk about payment gateways for selling your first ebook. And that kept it super simple. It kept the application really focused and That way I didn't just have to keep collecting details, 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 Mm -hmm. and then figure out how to present it. It was just super focused and it allowed me to collect the information about the different gateways and put it into a post in a couple of days instead of spending weeks Mm -hmm. researching. Yeah, I think this this is something in general. So especially with complex stuff. So, you know, I did this thing about the email marketing tools where that's also an example where there's so many of these tools and they're so complex you could you could write i don't know a 5000 word review for each one of them and then trying to make a comparison you can easily and this is actually something i noticed as well you know i started and then i noticed that my first outline was just like this is too much you know it'll end up being a piece of content with so much information that what's the point right it's like it makes it no less complex if you're someone who's trying to decide which email marketing tool should i use and you come to this this massive post that tries to explain everything about everything you're actually no further to making a good decision and so yeah i i applied the same thing there where it was like to pick out specific difficult use cases that i knew most of these tools would fail at so that way i could reduce the group to the the, the few tools that even had a chance of competing right And then in the course of doing it, I noticed that A-B testing was like the killer differentiator. And so that really helped then crystallize that where it's, if you're in our audience, you're probably interested in like more advanced marketing stuff. And then this is how you make the decision. And I think that can be extrapolated into like a general recommendation, right? If you, on the one hand, if you create content and on the other hand, just if you um, 
want to make decisions about complex things, right? Base it on a use case. I think that's a pretty good way to turn complexity into something that's more graspable, maybe. And it's not just only easier to create it and to keep that scope limited, like you say, Matt, because yes, it does help to create that content faster, but it's also, it is more valuable for the reader. And I think that is something that many people forget when they are writing a blog post or creating an e-course or whatever. It's when, when you imagine learning Photoshop, for example, it's like one of those things where it's like, if you have to learn everything of Photoshop, it's super hard. And I remember that I bought an e-course and the only thing that was teaching me was how to put an overlay on the image and how to put text on that overlay to make social media images in Photoshop. So the fact that it was social media images in Photoshop made it much more, much more bearable and where I would never have bought a full Photoshop course because that wasn't like, I don't need to know how to tweak pictures and, and, and make them look good and, and take out whatever the bags under the eyes of, of a portrait that I would never have taken in the first place. So having something limited is also much better for the audience. And I think that's one of those things where as, as entrepreneurs, we always want to put more, 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 because that will add value where actually as the content creator, your role is to limit the scope and to make it super precise so that you don't waste time for the people that you're actually creating the content for and that they can go through your blog post or your e-course or whatever and be like, yes, this is exactly what I wanted. This is exactly what I needed to know. And it took no more time for me to get through that content than it had to to answer my main questions. Yeah, I think this is also a case of the curse of knowledge, right? Where once you've learned it, like once you, if you've mastered something like Photoshop, and you think I'm going to do a Photoshop tutorial, you might think that, oh, I'm going to start by, I don't know, explaining all the tools that are available in the sidebar or something, right? But actually you didn't learn it like that, right? You learned it because you wanted to accomplish a thing, or at least I think that's the most effective way to learn it, right? You don't learn what each button does. And then once you know everything, then you start editing a photograph, right? Yeah. It's like you, you, you want to accomplish something, you learn how to do that one thing, and then slowly you build up a knowledge of tools felt like it gives me a good entry point too mm -hmm. because since i do tend to be someone who stays in the big picture type of thing and i'm a perfectionist so it's you're really what's that that saying is you have a fear of judgment so mm -hmm. you just hold everything close to the chest until the deadline and then you get uh feedback and mm -hmm. that's the worst thing to do because the more feedback you can get the better the product gets and it sort of gives you a, a hyper focus when you have that use mm -hmm. case to get that piece done, get it at least shipped to your team or people you can get that feedback from. And then it just leads to a better end product down the road. To clarify a point here, right? what, what Matt's talking about here is that we, we do internally, we review each other's work, right? So that's like the, the first step of feedback you can get. And that's something you can get sooner. But I think even as a, you know, if you're just like a blogger and you, you create your content, even there, you know, the lean startup idea applies where it's much better to publish simple blog post on a topic, put it out there, see what happens and then develop it over time. Then, yeah, like you say, hold it close to your chest, work on it forever. Right? It's something that we've also talked about on the podcast before. Next, we'll hear from Miguel. Miguel is our video editor and animation designer. So whenever you see an active growth video or a Thrive Themes video and anything cool happens in that video, it's Miguel's work. 
So especially the sales videos is where you can kind of see him flex his skills, right? All these animations, most of the designs are totally custom made. So he's someone you maybe haven't heard from before, except if you have watched our how to do the bubble effect tutorial on Thrive Themes. But he plays an important part, like I said, anything cool that happens in a video, it's his work. So in my case, there are two things that, that have been quite important this year. One of them is the way I dealt with getting stuck with creative work, especially when I, it comes about doing animations for a sales video, for example. With Thrive Architect, I started having very high expectations of how good the, the video should look. And that kept me quite stuck. I don't know for how long, maybe a day or so, I didn't make much progress until what I noticed was that I wasn't accepting the fact that what was coming out from me at that moment was something very crappy and mm. very, very, very simple. And once that hit home, it was very powerful for me to just build something that was very low, low quality. And then that allowed for better quality to, to come on top of that. And that's been quite important for me in, in other areas. If I want to write something, if I want to make a video for my personal channel, um, I just start throwing, making a brain dump, just throwing whatever comes to my mind. And on top of that, then I can make something that I, I'm more proud of. And the other thing, which is indirectly related to creativity is just sleep. I noticed that if I go to bed late and at late, I mean, around 12 midnight or so next day is going to be subject to a lot of stress in terms of make sure that you wake up early because if you don't then you're going to have to shift a lot of things that you do during the day and going to have to push them back so i noticed how that little adjustment made such a difference where i felt it solidified more in the last month where i would go to bed no later than half past 10 and wake up naturally between six and seven and then just even without an alarm clock and then just everything feels effortless and it adds up when it's about uh, making something creative that if the stress is there if there are some background processes in my head that say oh yeah but now i'm gonna have to push that uh, for later i don't know where i should have lunch now and yeah. everything gets shifted away that just doesn't help yeah, you know, you, you kind of said it's, it's not related, but I think with sleep, it's like there's nothing that sleep isn't related to. Right? It's like <laughs> sleep is such a powerful foundation of being a functioning human. Yeah. That, yeah, there's nothing it doesn't relate to. It's not for nothing that it's torture to wake people up over yeah. and over and over and over again. Yeah. So what, I, what I'd be interested to hear from, from, from everyone here is that for most of us, like we, we know, okay, if we if we get an early start to the day, it's, it's probably everyone prefers that, right? Any, any dissidents here? <laughs> so it's basically better to get an early start. But how do you deal with the feeling in the evening? For me, this is the problem: is the feeling in the evening. I feel like I haven't gotten enough done. And it's very difficult for me to shut off, right? If I feel like, well, I well, I have to do this and that and the other before I can go to bed, right? So it's like I'm not ready to end the day. That's usually why I end up staying awake for too long. I want to say something about the early start because <laughs> I stopped beating myself up over that. Mm. I'm not a morning person. 
I tried the miracle morning technique. I tried the getting up at 5.30 and getting your first work done immediately in the morning and whatever. I'm a rack at 20 afternoon when I'm doing that. It just basically makes me, yeah, productive maybe between like 5.30 and, and 9 or something. And then I just, first of all, I'm hungry and then I like crash. And it's for me, like, and even... One of the things for me that's valuable is having a social life also and getting to bed at eight limits your social <laughs> life severely, especially if not everybody's an entrepreneur around you and they actually have, an, an, I was going to say real job, <laughs> 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 they, they have yeah normal work hours and they get home at 7.30 and so if you want to meet up with your friends, like in, in Paris, we meet up at eight, so that means that you're not in bed before 11. Yeah. And, and for me, that's something that I don't want to compromise on that because I think it's important. And so, yeah, I go to bed around like 11, 12. I mean, I'm not like burning the, the candles or whatever, like through the night. But that makes me wake up around 8, 9 in the morning instead of 5 in the morning. And I also, I don't put an alarm and I stop beating myself up about the fact that I'm not a morning person and my day starts at nine, basically. And that's just, I think that's also important because you hear so much about the importance of like early in the morning, whatever. Everybody has their own rhythm. And if, if it doesn't work for you, if you feel crappy when you have to like tear yourself out of bed at five in the morning and then you have to take a nap in the afternoon because you're just crashing and then you're missing out on seeing your friends might not be worth the whole miracle morning thing that's that's my take on that yeah it seems to be important to just look objectively at, at what works and, and try different things because it's exactly for me I, if if i'm in catalonia it's like everything socially also just happens after uh, 10 <laughs> and if I go out uh, for a dancing event nothing happens before 12 uh -huh. <laughs> and the peak of the night would be at 2 a.m. so I saw that's fine on the weekends because then next day I can wake up late no problem but it's like once I, I just put it in objectively as, as you did like you find out that you're not a morning person and then you find out what it works for me, I was just stuck for a long time and just going on bed late from Monday to Friday and then having this low level of stress there. But as you said, just find out what works for you. To answer your original question of strategies to stop working, yeah, I guess I make it very difficult to resume work. So at one point, did a road trip and was sleeping in the van. So once you went home, there was no Wi-Fi, you didn't set it up so that there was Wi-Fi. So uh, making sure that I set deadlines that were very hard. And so another option, if you're not living in a van, for example, <laughs> might be to uh, schedule a social event or some type of class or extra hobby that starts at, you know, four or five. And so that also seems to make me more productive because I know that I have to finish my work by that cutoff time because then I'll be out for the rest of the night. Yeah, you give yourself kind of a hard limit, right? Because if you just tell yourself, oh, I'm going to stop working by five, then like 4.30, you're like, oh, well, I'm still in the middle of something and then it drags on, right? Yeah. But yeah, especially if it's a social event where, you know, people are waiting for yeah. you or you've paid for the class or something like that, yeah. it makes it much easier to shut the computer. And on the same vein, for me, I found really helpful is just setting a hard eight-hour limit and just keeping track of the hours. I mean, I know we're like, we're all remote and now we don't have to work just like a set eight hours. But for me, 
it's just so much easier to keep it in that box and then really defend that box and then clock off at I know that I can't dawdle during the day because I know I need to finish myself in my eight hours and do the work that's really important in that eight hours because I can't just keep working after that eight hours if I promise myself that once it hits what 5 p.m then I'm not allowed to open my computer I also got into the habit of uh, waking up really early and I make sure that I do all my productive work before lunch so I would have my best hours in the morning and after lunch, well, like we're all a bit uh, sleepy after lunch anyway, I try to make sure that then I work on things that don't require that much productivity, like more, more like the mechanical things. Yeah. And yeah, I, I usually time it to either going out, like you said, or, uh, or to having dinner that when I'm like ready to go out and have dinner or just make dinner for myself, I, I, I turn my computer off. Mm-hmm. And then, like then, I'm I'm not allowed to look at it anymore. And I also decrease the brightness of my phone. And mm-hmm. like I would just have my Kindle after lunch and uh, yeah. dinner, sorry, and and just like read a book and not touch my computer. All right. So this is something I'd also love to hear comments from because I think it's one of those things. It's actually a very active growth thing to, to talk about <laughs> stuff that you don't generally find on a on a marketing or entrepreneur blog, even though it can make a huge difference. So I'd love to get some feedback, some comments of you know, how sleep has affected your productivity and also if you have these kinds of strategies for for keeping yourself productive by having good sleep hygiene, basically. Next up, Dave. He is our Facebook marketing wizard. He spends a lot of time analyzing Facebook ads, creating Facebook ads, testing Facebook ads, creating complicated funnels of ads and retargeting ads and so on and so forth and driving traffic, driving new visitors towards our businesses. All right, so I have two things that I wanna talk about that have helped me ship more. So the first one is documentation and setting up a system where even though it it takes a lot of work up front, I find myself doing a lot of tasks that are repeating. So I keep track of what I'm doing and then make it extremely easy for me to repeat those tasks. And so, An example of this is when I'm creating Facebook ads, for example, every single ad set, I will use a different audience. And so part of creating the ad campaign is creating these separate audiences. And now I know in my head, it's very easy to go and type facebook.com, go to the ad manager, open up the audience and then create the audience from there. But with the documentation, I'm able to just have a link straight to the audience and I don't spend a lot of extra RAM trying to remember, okay, where do I have to go for this? I just click a link, it opens, and I'm right where I need to be. If I need to save images, for example, I'll put a link in the checklist that takes me straight to Google Drive, right where I need to save that folder. And so I don't have to open up a tab, Google Drive, find the right folder. It just makes things simple. Yeah, the takeaway from that is make your work as easy as possible so you don't spend your creativity doing these tasks that take up a lot of RAM that you have to think about and do. Uh, The second thing is creating systems of working that I know work for me. So one thing is, you know, I will find systems that will work for a while and then run out. And when they stop working, being sure that I have something up in the background to take up the slack when, for example, deep work stops working and I find myself no longer productive, I I can switch to another technique uh, another thing that has worked for me is kind of a environment change. So I will make sure that after four hours of work, I have another cafe to go to, for example. And the important part for that is knowing cafes 
that I can go to that meet certain requirements. So for me, it's very important that they take credit cards so that I can just keep a tab. I don't have to keep going up to the, the counter and, and paying cash every time. Um, I can just keep it running. If it's in the morning, I, I like inexpensive coffee and I like soda water. If it's in the evening, I like healthy food. So as soon as I need a location change, again, this goes back to the documentation idea again, that I don't have to think of, oh, where do I need to go that has the good Wi-Fi and has healthy food? I can just immediately pick up and go there. And so I find that extremely helpful. Yeah, so one thing that strikes me about this is that you're also eliminating potential distractions, right? Where I think this is one of the things that can really hurt productivity that we generally don't think a lot about, right? You think, well, okay, like you say, I have to save my image somewhere. You open you open the browser, go to Google Drive and navigate through a bunch of folders until you're there. It seems like a trivial thing, but actually it's something that can have a high cost, a task switching cost, right? So switching between doing this work that I have to focus on and then doing even something super mundane like navigating through a bunch of folders comes with a task switching cost where then switching back to something you can focus on can take a long time, right? So there's been studies on this in some cases that suggest that even after a minimal distraction like checking your phone, it can take up to 15 minutes to get back into the groove of full productivity, right? And so having a direct link to a thing instead of navigating through a bunch of stuff, I think can really save on that task switching cost. And also it can save on just potentially getting distracted, right? Because on your way there, you know, you open your browser and you see like your suggested websites or whatever the browser presents and, and you know, all of a sudden you're like on Reddit or something, right? Um, or I think the phone is especially dangerous for that, right? You you want to check the time, but then you see 15 notifications. Next thing you know, you're in a conversation with someone, right? Mm. So having these kind of shortcuts past the potential distractions, I think can, can actually be really valuable, even though it might seem like a very simple thing. Yeah, and further on that, the documentation is very nice for when you do get distracted, inevitably, the 15 minutes is extremely cut down if you've been running a checklist mm -hmm. and you reopen and go back to what you're doing and you can immediately look like, oh yeah, I had just created this audience. The next step for this is to uh, start writing the copy or the headlines, or for example. And so I don't have to rethink like, what have I done? Have I named this correctly yet? It's all on the checklist and I can just immediately or not immediately, but it doesn't take me as long yeah. to get back into it. I think checklists are one of those non-sexy productivity <laughs> hacks where it's, it, it is insane because yeah, we, we've all published, I don't know how many blog posts. So we're like supposed to know what to do when you publish a blog post, but we still have a checklist to go through. And it's one of those things I think where, when you talk about, about RAM, that's super important because if you have this checklist, you don't spend any of your thinking power on doing those repetitive tasks. You're just following the checklist and be like, okay, add social media image. Okay, publish this, post this, whatever, do this. And, and the fact that you don't need any brain power for that opens up the opportunity to do deep work on the really important stuff rather than spending your brain power on that, right? And it also, like, I agree with, with Alexandra about doing the less deep work in the afternoon. And if you have a checklist, that's actually like reducing somehow the, the, the deeper work to more shallow work. And you can do it without being super concentrated because yeah, the checklist just takes away a lot of that concentration that you would need to do it otherwise. Yeah, we can link to a story here about um, how checklists are being used in the medical world because 
uh, yeah, it's definitely not the kind of thing where it's like, oh, I know how to do this. I don't need a checklist. Right? It's been shown that um, in surgery, right, with surgeons like that, that probably the highest trained, most expert of, among professionals, right, surgeons, will increase their positive outcomes and decrease their, their negative outcomes from surgery by huge margins by having a checklist that runs through the mundane stuff like, did you wash your hands? Did you forget your scalpel in the patient, right? This kind of stuff um, makes a huge difference. So it really isn't something that I need a checklist until I know how to do it and then I don't need it anymore. I guess Matt can give an example for the pilot stuff, right? Yeah. Oh yeah, I mean, in terms of aviation, it was a lesson learned very early on to start using checklists because there are so many things going on and the price of failure is so great that the entire aviation industry uses checklists from creating the airplane to the actual pilots. So they don't forget anything. Yeah, and that's even if you've been a pilot for decades. Yeah. In fact, they say the two most dangerous times as a pilot is early on when you don't have experience. And then later on, when you have a ton of experience and you get complacent. Mm -hmm. And and I'm always, if I ever hear a pilot say, well, I have 8,000 hours, yada, da, 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 I'm like, he's dangerous. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I watch out for that guy because he, he lost the humility about it. Right. Next, we'll hear from Steph. And if you followed Thrive Theme's blog, then you've probably seen her in some of the videos she's made or read some of her posts. And apart from the content marketing, Steph has also been in charge of member happiness at Thrive Theme. So she makes sure that we keep producing cool bonus content, valuable extra content and things like that for our loyal Thrive Themes members. My one, it's already been mentioned or come up in conversation, but it's about finding a work routine and environment where you're most productive and then defending that with your life. There have been several examples that I can think of and mention now. It's um, we're all working together in Thailand for a little bit and we decided to have a morning meeting at nine. So I'm a very early riser and I like to get up and start work by about 7 a.m. And I find I'm incredibly productive in the mornings, but once it hits lunchtime and I eat something, it's all over. <laughs> so um, with this work meeting at nine, it was, I would get up, start work at a cafe and then have to pack all my stuff up, come back to the office and then we'd have our meeting, which would be about an hour. And then I'd have another maybe hour of work when I have to go to a cafe set up again and then pack up again for lunch. And I was incredibly unproductive in the first two weeks when we were doing this and eventually took the step to ask to change the time of the meeting because it was just really not working for my schedule. Now, not everyone's going to be able to do this and change meetings, but um, you can work out ways where there are less interruptions to your day. But it's like Hannah was saying, some people are productive in the morning, some people are productive in the evenings. That's all fine. And I would recommend trying to figure that out for yourself and not trying to change it, not feeling guilty that you can't get up at seven and bust out a, a really productive morning and then you're off for the rest of the afternoon. If you're a night worker, you're a night worker, that's fine. Put processes in place where you can start your work when you're most productive and just be okay with that. Just accept that and make that part of your work day. Mm-hmm. Another example is when you are remote, it's so easy to, I, I have a friend who loves doing brunch and obviously I want to hang out with that friend because I'm remote, I can choose my own hours. So I fell into the trap of going out to brunch with her a couple of times and then the rest of my day would just be ruined because I miss those important hours for myself in the morning. So again, the hard lesson was just 
do not make an exception to this. Just know your hours, know when you're most productive and just really, really defend it. This to me sounds like the importance of routines. Yeah. So, and for me, actually, for the sleep thing, like I kind of view myself as an addict when it comes to lack of sleep. Like it's so easy. It's just ever since I was, you know, teenager, I developed a really poor sleep habit. So I feel like the value of a nightly and morning routine that I stick to without question is really important for like a recovering sleep deprived person like me. Otherwise it impacts the productivity and, and then the time you're actually working is you, you miss out on those um, ideal work times. And an addition to that is knowing the work environment that's best for you and also protecting that. So a place where there's going to be limited interruptions. Because if you get interrupted in that prime time for you, then it's it's going to mess up the rest of your day in terms of work. So for me, a big one was good Wi-Fi. Mm -hmm. And I was um, also doing a road trip through the States in a van and um, we'd have a different cafe every single day. And that I found really, really difficult because half the time the internet wouldn't work and then you'd try and make it work and then kind of sit there for another hour or two just playing around with this bad internet and your productivity would just be shot by the end of that. So I think people would probably be moving around less. So go to the extra mile to find a cafe that has really good Wi-Fi or a home work environment that has really great Wi-Fi where no one's going to come in and ask you questions or interrupt you during your really, really productive time. I want to add to that good gear. A slow computer is a disaster. Because <laughs> we were talking about the switching uh, from things, right? And so only like yesterday I was working on this Excel document and it just had 17,000 entries. It was like a huge document. And I had to change something. And for some reason, like my computer was, was struggling, which usually doesn't do it. <laughs> but I think 17,000 entries was a bit too much. And I would do the, the Excel document and then have to go to something else. So I started creating a landing page, which then I switched back to Excel after 10 minutes. It was still calculating. So I went back to my landing page and, and I didn't manage to finish that document because it was just, yeah, it was so slow. And I think if you have a bad computer, if your computer is what you're working on all day, those seconds when you have to wait and the problem is we hate waiting, everybody hates waiting. And at that point, what we do is we open another tab and that's where you end up on Facebook or on Reddit or on whatever other thing it is for you, watching cat videos on YouTube or, or even you don't know anymore why you open that tab. That's also one of those things. You open a tab, you have to wait for it to load. In the meantime, you're like, oh, I'll check my emails. You go back to the tab and you're like, wait, why, why did I open the website? Oh yeah, I was gonna check lead generation forms. Okay, lead generation forms, click on it, wait. And it's like, no, that, that's just, that's such a hassle. So yeah, slow internet for sure, disaster, but also the slow computer or, or gear that's not working is like one of those things. There for, I think this is like the ultimate digital nomad problem, right? What you were describing, you can lose so much time going to a place only to find out that they have Wi-Fi, but it's terrible, right? And you try to struggle with it and so on. So that's also for me, when, when I arrive at a new place, finding a workplace that has good Wi-Fi is super high priority. I'd much rather be in a place where, you know, maybe it's more expensive or, or whatever, they don't have good coffee or good tea or whatever. 
but they have good internet, right? I'll go there every day. And that's also one of the things when I arrive in a new place, that's one of the first priorities to find at least one place like that. And a tool that can help with that, by the way, is Wi-Fi map. Um, we'll link to that in the resources. It's basically, I can show you a map and you know, it's like crowdsourced Wi-Fi passwords from coffee shops and, and things like that. But one of the good things is you can filter them by speed. So you can be like, only show me the fastest connections. Uh, and I will go out of my way to go to a place that has fast internet uh, because it makes such a big difference. Next is Hanne. And if you listen to this podcast, you know Hanne. She's the boss. She's in charge of all of the people that you've been listening to in this episode. For me, one of the things that's important is not just to ship a lot of things, but also to have my team ship a lot of things. And I think two main things that really helped with that is having everybody set their own weekly goals. So at the beginning of the week, everybody of the team decides what they are going to accomplish by the end of that week. Uh, which allows to think about what you actually want to do that week, what would be feasible with the time that you have on hand, what fits into the bigger plan of like the monthly goals and the yearly goals. And having everybody auto choose that goal so that, yeah, it's, it's important that it's not somebody else telling like, oh, you have to finish this by the end of the week, but actually coming from every team member being like, oh, I want to finish this by the end of the week, I think. That has been super helpful in shipping and in knowing what we are supposed to ship by the end of the week. And on that same note, having daily updates. So at the beginning of the day, setting out a very clear expectation of what you will do during that day. And there will always be stuff that doesn't get done. Um, but if at the beginning of the day you were like, I'm gonna do A, B and C. And at the end of the day, you're like, I did half of A, nothing of B and nothing of C. Then you have to think about what you did with your day. And you have to be very honest about that with yourself. Like nobody is, is actually asking you what you did, but it's like, what did you do? Did you find that working on project D was actually more important than the other things that you set out that day? Or did you go down a rabbit hole and did you get lost on, on uh, making a blog post way out of scope or, or yeah, watching YouTube videos because you started with that one TED talk that was interesting and actually mm -hmm. <laughs> that, that, that was good for the topic you were writing or researching or, and, and the same holds true with the weekly goals, right? Like at the end of the week, if you have to say like, oh, I did this or I didn't do this, then you have to think about why, why did you not do something and did you do something else that was more important? And those two things uh, are, are also just invaluable because yes, having a great environment, having good habits, having good sleep and all of that, I believe that's necessary to getting something done. But knowing what you have to do and how you will get there and if it's realistic to get there is also very important and often missing uh, for many entrepreneurs because they dream about what they will be able to do and mm. they don't set out of being like, yeah, I'm going to finish that ebook or I'm going to like something very specific and tangible where you can say at the end of the week, yes. Or no. Mm -hmm. There's like nothing in between. Yes, you published that blog post. No, you didn't publish that blog post. Yes, you edited that video. No, you didn't edit that video. It's yes, you made those Facebook campaigns, or no, you didn't make those Facebook campaigns. And and there's no 
there's no fooling around and at that point you just have to be super honest with yourself of being like well yeah no i actually didn't do that much this week <laughs> i think this is an antidote to the let's say the task management system that we default into if we don't have a system which is you know for entrepreneurs where you, yeah you, you kind of you, you have a choice about what to work on and you have to make decisions about what to work on the problem is that if, if you do like task management by inbox or task management by slack as it would be these days probably uh, that's a huge problem right you, you basically open your inbox or your whatever wherever you get your communications from in the morning and you let that dictate your day Right. So, oh, someone is asking for this and here's an emergency over there and so on. And then so in the end, you can work all day, but you haven't actually moved towards your goals. And, and this system right, of deciding what do I want to have to done by the end of the week? What do I want to have done by the end of the day is an antidote to that where you can say, OK, all of this other stuff that's coming at me is also important. But here are my priorities. And then the moment you link that with the moments during the day that you're most productive, that's mm. where this becomes super powerful. Because you can be like, yeah, the three things that I really want to get done this day, well, I have to get them done before lunch. Or, well, I'm most productive writing whatever between 8 and 10 in the evening, so that's when I will get that thing done. But yeah, coupling those two things with being very clear about what you want to accomplish and knowing yourself, your habits, your, your, your body and, and the way your mind works, to actually get those things done at the most productive moments of the day. I feel like just because we also do the daily update on the tasks we want to get done that day, if I do get distracted, that'll be the first thing I go back and look at. It's almost like, like a checklist. Yeah, right? and then you just go back and you're like, oh yeah, this is the most important thing right now. Mm-hmm. And that's very helpful. Or even when you're like getting bored a little bit or maybe like getting annoyed with something, it's like, okay, what other tasks did I have like that, that I could actually start working on, which would still bring me closer to those weekly goals. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I've found it really helpful in figuring out what I can achieve in a day because mm-hmm. say write a blog post, it's very ambiguous and you never really know. But um, by setting those goals for yourself and then seeing if you measured up to those goals, in future, you're kind of aware of, oh, like writing a blog post takes me two days and then you can schedule it in a lot easier. Next, we'll hear from Alexandra. And Alexandra, you've probably seen her if you check out our show notes because the posts that our show notes are on are usually published by Alexandra. She is in charge of the podcast, so she does all the editing for the podcast. She writes the show notes, makes sure that we mention, we add all the links that we mention in the show and so on. Yeah, one of the things I wanted to say related to the Wi-Fi issue that you were mentioning, stuff is that when you can work on a task that doesn't necessarily require internet or you can somehow work around it, I try to make sure I, I turn the Wi-Fi off. Like say, even for a blog post that you would uh, collect all the resources that you want to use or uh, have everything open on your computer and then turn the internet off so you have everything uh, that you need for that and just use a, use a Word document or Evernote to write the article. Or I always have a notebook with me, like actual paper and pen. And I like uh, taking notes and like planning how I would build a page or something. And this way, like when I turn the Wi-Fi back on, I just need to execute. I need to do what I already came up with. Because I find that when I need to do something creative, it obviously involves a bit of thinking, especially when you have the block that's when you can either start going down the rabbit hole and just like waste a lot of time open all those windows that you don't actually need you just think that maybe you might need that never happens
you just have it open and maybe that one sentence might be useful for that's why you some... never close your computer because then you lose all those tabs <laughs> <laughs> right Dave you know what I'm talking about yeah I'm one of those certified tab hoarder <laughs> but I figured that if you have them open it's fine but turn the internet off so you can't have more open or can't go to ways that you didn't want to and then just turn it back on I mean this is, this is another way to to basically prevent these distractions, right? To prevent the problems that usually get us off track. And I think that, you know, getting offline for periods of work is like a pretty hardcore implementation of that, right? But that's something that also uh, Carl Newport recommends in, in deep work. He basically, I think almost part of his definition of deep work is that it happens offline, disconnected, right? Which I do think it can be very, very difficult if you're working on an online business. But yeah, you make a good point. I mean, the, there are certain tasks where, yeah, if I sit down to write some copy, I do not need to be in, connected to the internet for that, right? And and really, being connected to the internet can only have negative consequences. It can lead to distraction, but it's not going to help me write copy. So it, it, in that case, it's a really good step to just be like, no, for the next hour, I'm offline and I'm doing this. And even if you can be super focused and not go on pages you shouldn't and all that, like when you're in the zone and the internet cuts off, you're like, ah, I'm losing it. And as you said, Shane, a few minutes ago, that when, you, when you're out of the zone, it takes, you said, yeah. 15 minutes to get back. Yeah. And it just wastes a lot of time for you. I think it, it's also one of those things where we think we have to be connected all the time because we yeah. think we have to do multiple things at the time which is definitely not true like it it has been proven and this is from a, a woman speaking so we're supposed to be good at multitasking um multitasking is bad like if you want to get stuff done if you want to ship things like don't multitask and it's it's i think especially with writing blog posts we feel as if we have to do the research while we're doing the blog post while we find the best synonym for that exact word that we are looking for while we also find the images online and and i think what michael was saying about having that crappy first draft which we talk often about in, in content writing too it's in your first draft you can have tk find best image here so and tk because then you can search for it but it's it's one of those things that you learn where it's like yeah to find a source for example can make you go down the rabbit hole very very quickly so if you're offline at that point you just you cannot do it so this is that's perfect and then you can just be like oh yeah i, I remember something like this google research for saying that you need 12 points of contact before making a sale and then you just put in there tk find source google research and you continue writing and you continue with your deep work and you continue without being distracted by research by images by synonyms i think that's a good one because mm -hmm. like the, that thesaurus is very important always open <laughs> yeah another thing i use for my productivity that might not work for everyone but for me it works super well is actually music so i kind of like train myself to listen to the same kind of music like when I'm in the creative deep work mode or like even actually in the morning when I wake up, I have a playlist that I put on while I'm like getting ready for the day and then I start working, I put another playlist on and because I'm so used to that and I always, I only listen to that kind of music in that situation, mm -hmm. it kind of like triggers the, the habit that okay, this is work now and when I'm not working, I don't listen to that. Yeah, so that's interesting, basically you've conditioned yourself with music. And I think that's actually really interesting for anyone who is, yeah, for the digital nomad types who are moving around. 
a great disadvantage of all the moving around is that you can't set up your perfect productive environment. You can't take your work environment with you. And environment is so important. It's so important for being productive. It's one of the most powerful triggers, basically, of being productive. Is if you have this, you go to the same environment at the same time of day to do the same kind of work. That's this form of conditioning. But I think it's interesting to, while we can't do that when we're moving around all the time, you can take your music with you, right? You, you can take it. So you, you have this element of environment. So you could try and take it to the next level by, by using smells, right? Because smells are apparently the strongest triggers. <laughs> so, you know, maybe How smell chocolate every that? time you work or something. Fresh laptop. <laughs> <laughs> Funny story. My high school history teacher told us this. She's, if, you, if you're studying for a test, then smell an orange while you're studying and then during the test like put some orange smell on your wrist or something and smell it for memory recall so i tried this i was like this isn't working like i don't even i don't even get this and then it turns out two years later i was diagnosed with no sense of smell <laughs> so, okay, yeah, one of our professors told us that we should chew gum, but not this typical minty flavor, but mm -hmm. uh, like a fruity flavor gum that you wouldn't normally mm -hmm. while you're studying. Yeah. And then while you're writing the test, you should uh, chew the same kind of gum. <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. So that's something I've never done, but maybe maybe I'll try it out. The music definitely like yeah. I I also have a work playlist. It's even called work playlist, <laughs> and it starts with the same song. Like of course, like I, and I do start like I don't shuffle that playlist. Very important. Like it stays in the same order, and yeah, it starts with the the overwork like rise from mm -hmm. overwork and it's one like the rhythm is good the the it's there's no lyrics because i cannot work when when there's mm -hmm. lyrics on the music and so it's very yeah the moment i hear that song i'm like in the zone and and that's yeah it's acdc for me <laughs> <laughs> yeah it is <laughs> nice yeah i'll oftentimes play the same song on repeat over and over and over again Whoa. and just use one song and it's very helpful for me because since it's the same song, I start zoning out. I don't pay attention to it. And then I also kind of lose track of time. Um, when I find when I listen to a full album, when I hear the song repeat, all of a sudden I'll have this check-in and be like, oh, I listened to the whole album. That's exactly two hours and 12 minutes. And then I'll have that concept of how long I've been working, which sometimes derails me. Mm. Whereas if I have the song on repeat, my brain even lose track of how often it's gone by. And so then you just come out and, you know, you've been listening to Adele, someone like you for <laughs> seven hours. It's, it's never happened. It's great. <laughs> yeah. So, so kind of related to this, so I generally don't listen to music when I'm working or only rarely, but I did get some good over ear headphones last year. And one of the main criteria I picked them for was just good sound isolation. So sometimes I will, because when I'm working in a, in a cafe, for example, sometimes I'll just put on my headphones and not listen to music, but it just gives me the silence, right? We, we were laughing about this the other day because we were both sitting in a cafe and facing each other with Steph and like having our earphones in. And so usually when you want to say something, like you look at the other one and like you wait until they take the earphones out and we're like, start talking. We're like, yeah, you don't have music in there either. <laughs> <laughs> it was because it calms down the ambient noise yeah. basically. And especially if people are talking too loud next to you or like, yeah. Well, I find it's the same as the music. If I put my 
my headphones on, it signifies to me that it's work time. Right. I will just add, because I've worked from a lot of co-working spaces, and if you have over-the-ear headphones, it's super intimidating for people to come up and distract you. (laughs) They will leave you alone. So it has that benefit as well. Yeah, every time I hear, I see you with the earphones, I'm like, should I talk to him? <laughs> it's true. It's true. And finally, here's my own contribution to this topic. I'm not going to introduce myself here because that would just be weird. So here's me. One of my new things this year has been, I've been getting more into Trello, and I, I now use Trello with with several different boards as like my main task management tool. And it's actually something I was going to share in some posts, like my, my exact system. But one of the important things, one of the big challenges in my work is that there's so many things coming from so many sides, right? There's so many demands and I'm kind of involved in, in so many areas of the business that, yeah, the thing I talked about before, you know, where I can be busy all day without really having done anything or, you know, just kind of putting out fires, right? I'm, like I'm solving problems any, everywhere, but I'm not doing something that moves the business forward. And so one of the things that has helped me deal with this is that in Trello, I have one column in my personal board, which is just just like my big picture priorities. And I have no more than three cards in there. So there's just three big picture things. It's like, these are the big picture things that I want to focus on. And it's like my constant reminder, right? If I so in my productive hours, these are the areas I should be working on. Um, or, you know, if I finish something, one of the more distracting types of work, and I'm like, okay, what should I do next? Then that's where I go to. So I have like, it's like a lighthouse, right? These are not like specific tasks, do this by then. But they're just like more big picture, aim yourself in this direction kind of reminders. And this has really helped me. And and also the idea that it's limited to three, right? So that's also like the Kanban idea where if I want to add a new priority, if a new priority comes along, I have to remove another one. So I either have to finish something or I have to be like, okay, one of these things is actually less important. I'm going to remove it and I'm going to put this new priority on the board. And that's, that's something that has just helped me like calm the chaos a bit. All right. And that wraps up this group episode. I hope you love this as much as I do. I really enjoyed this conversation and I learned a few great things from it. So I'm happy to share this with you and I hope you are happy to receive it. Please let us know your thoughts. Go to activegrowth.com forward slash 19. You can leave a comment there. You can leave a voice message there. And of course, we also appreciate it if you leave a review on iTunes or Apple Podcasts, I guess it's called now. And I have a couple of footnotes before we end this episode. So a couple of points. First of all, Alexandra mentioned about working offline and Hannah made a comment about how we usually think that we have to be online when we really don't. And one thing that came to mind here that I just wanted to mention in case you're not aware of this, Google Docs and Google Drive work offline. So if you use Google Docs for your writing and note-taking and things like that, as I do, then know that you can install their desktop thingy, which is called Backup and Sync by Google Drive or something like that now. Whatever, by the time this is published, you'll probably have rebranded it again. But just to get the, get the downloadable desktop thing for Google Drive. It will sync your Google Drive content to your hard drive, which is cool anyway. 
But anything that you have synced, you can work on offline in your browser. So you can work on your documents and spreadsheets and so on in your browser without an internet connection and it will save and it will simply synchronize the next time you get online, which is really, really good. And another note, we mentioned writing TK. When you do writing, that whenever you insert a note for yourself, you use TK. Now, the brief explanation of this is that TK is simply a letter combination that doesn't exist in any word in the English language. So if you simply write TK and then your note, you can then search your document for TK and find all of your notes. It's a reliable way to find all notes that you've inserted in your text without having to do any fancy formatting, right? You don't have to like, I don't know, you don't have to do anything complicated to make sure you don't miss any notes in the text. So that's why we use TK. We'll also link to a video, which is the source where I got this from. I don't know the original source, but the source where I got this from is an interview between Tim Ferriss and Neil Strauss. And Neil Strauss explains his writing strategies. It's a great interview. It's a great interview to watch or listen to. And there you can get a more detailed explanation of using TK in your writing. All right, and with that, thank you very much for listening. I hope you enjoyed this and I'll see you in the next one. Go to activegrowth.com forward slash 19 to leave a comment and join the discussion.